We are going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. My name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch, and on behalf of our church family, we want to say welcome home, whether this is you're your new to our community or you've been a part uh, for a long time. We believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news, and it brings us into God's family. It makes us new. It gives us new purpose, new relationships, new hope, and a new mission, and that's what we're here to learn about and to celebrate and to enjoy together. It's been a few weeks since I've been with you. Uh, my family, along with many others from our church, our discipleship training school, we were in Tijuana, Mexico on our church mission trip. Tijuana people, give it a little cheer, come on. It's awesome. Uh, as a church family, we have a church there in Tijuana uh, that we partnered with, that's a part of our family, and we got to gather with several other Antioch churches to worship together in the morning, and then the afternoon we would go out and do practical uh, projects like going to orphanages and playing with kids that the church works with, and then in the late afternoon and into the evening, we would go to various parts of the city, uh, put on a drama that explains the gospel, uh, pray for people, invite people to come and know Jesus, and we saw the Lord do remarkable things. And I want to share a few of those with you in the coming weeks. We don't have time to get to it today, but that's where I've been. And then last week I went and saw my dad for Father's Day, and so I missed y'all's time, but trust it was awesome, and I'm excited to be back with you uh, today. We are in the middle of a teaching series called Right Side Up. And we're learning how Jesus steps into our upside down world and sets things right side up again. And we're going to continue in that today, learning about him and how he transforms our lives. But I want to remind you of a few things before we go there. Number one, in the second service, just after this service, we're having our planted class. And so if you're new and you're looking to learn how to grow in your faith, how to belong to a church, I would encourage you to go to that class. You'll meet some great people, you'll be encouraged, and you'll get equipped on how to grow in your faith. We love you, and we want to help you grow in Christ and grow in relationship with one another. Tonight, we're having a night of prayer uh, so if you want to join with us in prayer, we'll be gathered here. I believe it starts at 7, and we'll be praying and worshiping and seeking the Lord together. We value prayer and would love for you to be a part of that. And then upcoming, what I want you to be aware of is in, on July the 7th, July the 7th. So that's not next Sunday, but I believe it's the Sunday after that. We're having what we call Selah Sunday. And again, if you're new with us, it's important that you know this. On that Sunday, July the 7th, we will not be having our normal, uh, regular Sunday morning worship service. And the reason that we do that, we take two of these a year. We call them Selah. Selah means to stop, pause, reflect. Is that our church is not built on the giftings of a few, but it's built on the service of many. We have so many people in our church community who volunteer their time, volunteer their talents to serve, whether that be in children's ministry, welcoming kids from our city in and investing in them, being on the welcome home team, welcoming all of us, being on the worship team, uh, all these different volunteer teams. In fact, our hope is that every person who calls our church home would be a part of one of these serve teams. We believe it's that important for you in your growth, right? So we have so many people doing that that we want to make sure that we take time 
uh, to pour into them. And so we try and build in a couple little windows for rest to hopefully give back some uh, to people who are giving so much. And so July the 7th, we will not be having our formal service in order to give the gift of rest to all of you who serve so faithfully and so fruitfully. I'm really, really grateful for you. Then last thing before the service, I don't know if you saw it, I imagine you did. Uh, The New York Times put out uh, an article or an update on the immigration crisis, the kids that are uh, being detained along with their families in the southern part of our state in South Texas. Uh, And if you read the article, it was heartbreaking. You might have already been aware of the living conditions of these kids as they're going through uh, the detainment process, Uh, but as a parent, as a lover of Jesus, as a human being with a heartbeat reading uh, about what was going on was just, uh, it floored me. And I imagine if you're aware of it, it floored you. If you're not, I would encourage you this afternoon to just Google New York Times border and you'll find the article and you'll read uh, what's going on and it will move you. And I want to call us as the people of God, the followers of Jesus, those who are reading stories like the parable of the Good Samaritan and learning from Jesus that we are to go and show mercy, I want to call us to get involved. There's so many things in our world, it can be overwhelming at times, but this is in our own country, in our own state, that's happening right here in our backyard, and we have a part to play in in bringing change and bringing hope. Tonight at our night of prayer, we'll be praying for our governmental leaders who are navigating kind of all of these issues, and whether you are a Democrat, a Republican, something else, uh, wherever you are in the spectrum, our hope and our belief is that we need God to give our leaders wisdom to know how to deal with the crises that we're facing, whatever side of the political aisle you're on. So we want to pray for them as Scripture commands us to, and we want to take action. And so if you are on our email newsletter list or you follow us on Instagram, I'll be sending out tomorrow a piece from World Vision, which is a a relief organization where they detail out how normal, everyday people like you and me can play a part in bringing change in this situation, bringing hope and bringing restoration. So if you're not on our newsletter list, please go to the website, fill in your info, or jump on social media and follow us on Instagram. We'll post both of them there. We'll post it there in both places. And I would just encourage you, let's take action and not be silent on this. Let's not be passive and just kind of let it go on by. Let's be the people of Jesus. So, okay, Luke chapter 12 Uh, verse 35 through 38 today. We're reading another one of the parables of Jesus, and each of these parables, there's a similar theme about him setting the world right side up again. And I had an interesting experience this week. Um, I was, my son, my youngest son, who's a year and a half or so, be two in September, woke up in the middle of the night crying for me, daddy, 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 daddy. So I'm awoken from slumber, like I am out cold, and then I hear him, you know, crying and yelling, and so I go in there. I'm trying to get my bearings. I pick him up from his crib, and I'm holding him, and I'm, I'm realizing he's so worked up. He's going to need me to take him into the living room, sit on the couch, and just kind of hold him for a while. As I uh, turn to go, uh, I, I, I step on something. You you can see some of the evidence behind me in this case. So how many of you guys are familiar with little people? We got any little people fans? 
I would try and sing you the theme song, but it's a bit jumbled in my head. But anyway, my kids, my younger ones love these little people. And just so you get an idea of what this is made out of, hard plastic, right? Not pleasant if you were happen to step on that, especially in the middle of the night. So uh, I uh, step onto these little toys set up by my son's bed in the bedroom in the middle of the night where it's all dark and you can't see anything. And all of a sudden, I've got them in my arms. I step like straight into the middle of all this. Shooting pain is going through my body. I feel like one of the robbers on Home Alone where, you know, Macaulay Culkin like sets them up. I'm out of it because it's the middle of the night, right? I've just woken up. I've got my son in my arms. If you're a parent, you ever get in a situation, I start to fall. And so you think, okay, just don't fall on your son. That's the number one goal here. Do not fall on the child, right? So I'm trying to turn him as I fall. And luckily, I don't hit the dresser or anything else. I land on the floor. Everything's okay. Adrenaline's pumping. We get up. We go in. We get a situation. Resolved. Little people. Now, I, something you need to know about our family is that if there's anything in our family that looks good, that works well, uh, is well-ordered and thought through, it does not come normally from me. It comes from my wife. She has a gift on her life to make things beautiful, to set things in order, and to bring life. And if you unleash her in an area that needs organization and needs cultivation, she'll do amazing things. That's not my natural personality. That's not kind of the way that I normally approach life. And when we first got married, it was so different to me. I would buy all the time the cheapest item that would always break, but I was like, it's on sale. It's cheap. And she'd be like, why don't we just buy something that's good and that way we won't have to replace it every two weeks. We'll have something that will last. And I still have a pair of shoes that we bought right when we got married 16 years ago. Uh, and the shoes that I would have bought have, would have gone through maybe a thousand of them by now. So that's her. And these little people are her idea. But she's not the one who left them on the floor, right? She's the one that purchased this device from the container store. She's a big fan of the container store. And we've got this container. And these toys are supposed to go in the container, right? That's how it's supposed to go. So she's set up the system. She's modeled it for our children. She's trained our children in these things that will lead to life, in these little blessings of little toys that kids love to play with, right? She's taught them this is the way that it goes. And if you'll do it this way, there'll be life and there'll be joy and dad won't fall in the middle of the night as he's holding the child. But... We have a number of other characters who live in our house besides my wife, me being one of them, four children, and we all have our own free will. Uh, we all have our own plans of how we think things should be done. We don't always follow along with the plan that would be best. And so one of the things that happens is things get set up, the box gets forgotten about, the toys get left out, and many times they're, you know, it's like this. It's not, it's not neat and orderly. It's just kind of everywhere, turned over, messed up, and then in the middle of the night, you know, there, you go. there goes dad. Hope he's going to be okay. <clears throat> when we look at the world around us, we look at a world much like this little scene. 
Everywhere we look, there's a world that's upside down, where things are not where they're supposed to be, where things happen that shouldn't happen to anyone, right? Regardless of where you come from, what you believe, your background, one thing that we all share, I would imagine, is that we all want a good life. We all want a full life. We all want a life with joy. We may differ on how that actually comes to pass and the ways for that, but it's a shared desire that I believe that we all have and that all of humanity has. And we come to this world where things are just not happening that way. It's backwards. It's upside down. And there's pain in our own lives, and there's pain in our city, and there's pain in our nation, and there's injustice, and all of this brokenness all around us. That's the world in which we live. And as we encounter this world, we do one of a couple things. One, some people look back to explain why is life so hard? And depending on your religious background, you may look back to past lives or, or past karma. You may look back to your family tree of, well, this is why things are like that. Some of us just try to deal with a disordered world and just do the best that we can, clearing out our little spot. Some of us, as we look at this, we blame the creator because we look at the world around us and we think, well, if there's someone who created this and this is the world that he created and the creation reflects the character of the creator and this world is so painful and so broken and so messed up, man, God just must be a monster or must not be powerful or must not care and, and we're just on our own. So many of us gain that bitterness towards God when we look at the world around us, the world in which we live. And one of the things that Jesus is doing in his ministry, in his life, and his teaching that Luke is taking us into is he's showing us something that's so important for you and for me, so important for the good life that we want to live. It's so important for our world that's upside down to be turned right side up again. Jesus is showing us that the world as it is is beautiful, it has potential, it has promise, but the world as it is is not how God intended it to be. That there are other free will actors, namely yourself and mine, who don't always follow along with the plan, with the wisdom, with the counsel of God. That if we follow along with him, life happens when we choose to take matters into our own hands Right, foundational story of the Bible, Adam and Eve, when we say, hey, we're going to do this on our own, this happens, but at a much greater scale. And Jesus, in his ministry, is trying to come and he's trying to show people, no, 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 God's not the one who ordained it to be this way. God is actually in the business of restoring that which is broken. God is in the business of setting right side up of healing that which is upside down. And he's doing it in Jesus. In Jesus, God the creator has written himself into the story in Christ. And Christ has come. And what you need to know, whether you've been a Christian for a long time or you're just exploring the faith, is that Christ has come to set an upside down world and to make it right side up again so that life, so that beauty, so that joy, so that human flourishing can happen again. 
God can be known, people can be blessed, and people can flourish. That's what Jesus is doing. That's his big mission. So he's telling these stories to try and affect and effect the way that we understand God to be. He's trying to shape our image of God. He's reshaping our own identity. He's reshaping our view of what God is doing in the world and in our generation and reshaping the way that we consider living our lives so that we could be a part of the solution rather than just deal with the problem and just live in the midst of it. That's what Jesus is doing, and he's doing it here through a story. Luke chapter 12, verse 35, he says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. So he's talking to his followers, and he's saying, I want you to be dressed and ready for service. What this means is that you are ready to go. You're not in your casual clothes. You're not in your pajamas. You're not in just lounge around the house mode. You are dressed and ready, maybe we would say, for a workout. You got your running shoes on. You got your workout shoes on. You got your shorts on. You're ready to go. And then keep your lamps burning in Jesus' day right? Uh, you, if it got night, you'd want to make sure that your lamp was on. They didn't have electricity, right? So you want to keep that lamp burning into the night. You want to be ready. And then he goes on to describe why, like servants, ready like servants, waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes, when the master comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. The master will dress himself to serve the servants. He will have them recline at the table. In Jesus' day, you would recline at the table to eat. Maybe we would say he would sit them down at the kitchen table, pull up a chair and tell them, get ready for a home-cooked meal. Recline the table, and he will come, and he will wait on them. He will serve them. He will feed them. Verse 38, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or towards daybreak. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 through 38. So I want to walk you through this story. I want to unpack it for you and then talk about implications for our lives. So starting in verse 35 and 36, I'd encourage you to look this story up in your Bible. If you need a Bible, they're in the seat rack in front of you. We're just going to go through the scripture today because we believe that the scripture is God's word and it brings life and it helps us to see Jesus. So I encourage you, pull out your Bibles. We're just going to walk through the word of God today. So when Jesus says, be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master, I want to start with that word waiting. How many of you know that there are various types of waiting? There's waiting with dread. Uh, I probably have a lot of cavities, I'm sure of it. So if I have a dentist appointment, I am awaiting that appointment with dread because I know a drill is in my future, right? You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Maybe you are in the, the dating world and you said yes to go out on a date with someone that you later decide, I don't really want to go on this date, so I'm dreading Friday coming and I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this without looking like a jerk. Uh, maybe you are a student 
and you have a test at the end of the week, summer school, you know, you're wrapping up and you're like, oh, I am so dreading that test. I've been slacking off. It's going to be so hard, right? We have a weight with dread. We also have a weight that's just kind of a passive, ambivalent, I'm waiting for my friend to call, or I'm waiting for my friend to come. They said they're going to come at five. You're just kind of waiting. It's neutral, right? So you have, ambival- you have anger, like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm dreading that. You have ambivalence. Yeah, be fine. Come in later. And then you have waiting with anticipation and expectation. So think back to uh, childhood. Maybe you are a child right now. You're thinking about Christmas, And when you start thinking about Christmas, you start to anticipate what's coming. You're thinking about, well, what's Santa Claus going to bring me? Or if you don't believe in Santa Claus, what what are my parents going to get me? And we got this and this and this. And you start start anticipating Christmas. I remember when we were getting married, I was anticipating the wedding. You're looking forward to it. I'm counting down. I remember when we got to day 100 until the wedding, right? And you're like, just keeping track. Just... These, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. This, you know, and you're looking for the, the wedding day. Uh, other things that people anticipate. People anticipate the new iPhone being released, right? And you line up at four in the morning because you're so excited about getting this new phone. I love basketball. And one of the best teams in college basketball is the Duke Blue Devils. And their games are so popular that students will camp out. Days ahead of time, intense, on campus, waiting to be able to get tickets to go to the game. They're waiting with anticipation and expectations tied to joy. And the word that's being used here is that third kind of waiting. These servants are not waiting with dread. Oh, no, the master's coming, and he's going to kind of give everybody what they're due. That's not how they're waiting. They're not like, eh, Maybe he'll be back, maybe he won't, whatever. They're not like that. The the word here is that they're waiting with anticipation. They're waiting with joy. They're waiting with expectation. I want you to think about what's the last thing that you have waited with joy and expectation and anticipation of? Think about it for a second. Think about what that feels like when you're looking forward to something, when you just can't wait and it seems so far away and you're just like, oh, That's how they are. Now, the crazy thing here is that they are waiting, these servants are waiting for their master to come back. And they're waiting with joy and anticipation. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, how often would you think about a servant hoping their master is going to return so that they could serve? One summer in college, I got a part-time job. It was like 30 hours a week as a furniture delivery guy for this small family-owned business. And it looked like a good idea to me. I was like, okay, uh, basically it'll be like working out all day. I'll get huge. This will be awesome. You know, I'll make $7 an hour or whatever, whatever it was. But that was like, man, this, is, this will be cool. You got Thursday afternoons off. You work Saturday morning. Okay. So I get the job. You know, they give it to me right away. And that should have been my first warning sign. Like, I don't know that this is as good as maybe I thought it was. But probably on day two, I realized the nature of this job was there was an older woman who was very particular who owned uh, the business. Her husband ran kind of the financial side. She ran the furniture, the setup, the way it was arranged in the showroom, all of that. And my role, I realized about two days in, is I've signed up 
for eight hours a day to follow this woman around for her to say, you know what? I actually think that couch should be up at the front of the store. Let's go do that. Oh, no, no, no. I don't really like it up here at the front of the store. Let's take it back. And I would look, and I'd, I'd gone there at 8.30, and now it's only 8.40. And I have eight more hours of this. So I learned from another uh, guy that worked there what servants do in that type of situation is he went to the warehouse, and he would hang out in the back. He would hide, basically, <laughs> until they came looking for him. And he said, learn the ways of the wise, my child. Follow me, you know, and I will give you rest. And that's what I would do. And I'd learn from uh, Mr. Rose. So that's, that's how I think of most people when we're talking about serving. That may be how you think about, you know, serving a master. So why are these guys and girls waiting with joy and anticipation? That would pique your interest a little bit. And they're waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. Now, uh, key thing on this is I've always read this story as the master is away at a wedding. When the wedding is over, he returns. That's what they're waiting on. But I, I've been reading this book that's really helpful by a gentleman named Kenneth Bailey, who is a Middle Eastern scholar, a Bible scholar, uh, and he wrote a book called Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes. And he talks about these stories from the perspective of someone he spent 40 years living in Cairo, Egypt, uh, someone living in the Middle East, in a different culture than ours, and places operate a little bit different than Texas, as hard as that is to imagine. And he said, what's going on here, based on the wording of return and the fact that the guy is knocking and wants him to open immediately, is that he's not returning from a far-off wedding when it's over. He's withdrawing from a wedding that's happening in his house. That that return is actually withdraw. The fact that he would want the door opened immediately for them means that it's not the front door where you have to be protective of who comes in. It's an interior door. And so this is a master who's having, think of a, a rich, wise, powerful leader who's having a wedding in his home, and he's withdrawing from the wedding. Maybe the wedding is his own. He's withdrawing from the wedding to his private chambers where his servants are, and they're waiting. And note here that he doesn't uh, send a servant to tell them what to do. He doesn't send an agent of his. He comes himself. And that's what we've seen in the Gospels over and over and over again, that God himself has come. That this is a picture of the incarnation. That the master cared enough to come and to be with him, to show up in person. Now, verse 37, it says... It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, and he will have them recline at the table, and he will come and wait on them. So you read this, and you're like, okay, a little bit different of a story. That's cool that he's at a wedding, and he's withdrawing, and okay, and we're serving. But this makes sense. Like, serve God, and he's going to come and bless you. That's what you expect from like a religious, you know, teaching. That's what you expect from every religion in the world, that idea of you do good things and God will come and he will bless you. Typical religious deal. Except that's actually not what is being said here. Now, depending on your translation, it may translate it will be good a couple different ways, but the word underneath that is a word called makarios. Makarios. Say to your neighbor, makarios. Makarios. If your name is Carrie. It's derived from this 
word. So if you're a Carian here, just know you, your, word, your name is derived from Makarios. And Makarios is the word for blessed that's not a future hope, but it's a present reality. It means you already are blessed, not that the master is going to come and then he is going to bless you. He's saying the, the condition of being blessed is already yours. It rests on you. It is fulfilled as a present reality. In Jesus' day, they would use this term to describe the island of Cyprus. They call it the blessed island because it was the place that had everything you needed to live a full life. And so here this word blessed was you have everything that you need to live a full life. The people that they thought were blessed in their day were the gods. It was the gods, uh, I think Zeus, who I talked about a couple weeks ago, who had everything that they needed for a full life, right? It was rich people who had everything that they needed for a full life. And yet here what we see is that Jesus comes, and in turning the world upside down, it's actually these servants who are blessed, not who will be blessed, but who already are blessed. It's interesting to think about. Uh, in that same book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, said there's no story like this in ancient literature, that it stands alone. And what I'm hoping that you're seeing here is why are these servants blessed? Is the blessing the food that they're going to eat? No. It says they already are blessed. Is it blessed because they're waiting? Like that's some sign of virtue? Not, I mean, not really. Like what meritorious is, is waiting? The only way that waiting would matter was if you had the type of master who would withdraw from a wedding, who would come to you. And in coming to you, he would come not to uh, be served, but to serve. He would come not to be fed, but to feed you. He would come not to be honored, but to honor you. That kind of master, that kind of generosity, that kind of love. What he does here when he pulls the servants up to the table, commentators say, is he takes someone who is a servant and he makes them a friend. Friends eat around the tables. Servants eat off on their own. That's the kind of master that Jesus is talking about. And that's the kind of master, because of who the master is, the servants are blessed people to have that kind of master. They're blessed to have that kind of master. Now, the correlation, the connection, is that Jesus is talking about himself. He's the master. He's God. He's Lord. And he's pointing out the picture that the key to a full life, the key to a good life, the key to having what you need to really live life as you uh, are meant to live is not found out there, but it's found in the master that you already have. The Jesus that's already yours. He's the master. And he's coming in in this situation. He's coming to serve. And he's coming to feed. And he's coming to lift up. Now, I don't know if you have a very good sense of smell. Anybody, raise your hand if you consider yourself to have a very good sense of smell. We've got a few. I, I, I don't. Uh, there's several people in my family, one of my children in particular, who has like the most keen sense of smell. Uh, he's the one that you're tucking him into bed. He's like, Dad, oh, your breath smells. 
You know, you're like, what, what four-year-old says that? Uh, he'll be out in places and be like, Dad, this smells like, you know, name some place we were long ago. Like, he just has that kind of nose. If you've read the scripture, if you've read the gospel of Luke, you're, you're, you're reading this, and hopefully as I'm unpacking it, your sense of smell is going off. You're like, this is familiar to me. This, this smells like something else in the Gospels. It's important to think now, we looked at the incarnation, Jesus coming, that's the beginning of the Gospel, but look to the end. And you might remember that on the night of the Passover that Jesus, the Master, took his servants to the upper room. And there, the Master, surprise, surprise, rather than looking to be, looking to be served, turn the tables and serves them. He's the one who washes their feet. He's the one who brings them to the table. He's the one who feeds them, not from the feast some far off, but he feeds them his own bread. He feeds them his own wine. He feeds them his own body. He feeds them his own blood as he looks to the cross. And what your sense of smell probably should be going off as you read this is we're seeing Jesus explain what is going on in his life and his ministry. He's the master who has come. He's the master who has come to serve. He's the master who's come to give. He's the master who's come to take servants and bring them up to the status of friends and family and to feed them and to bless them. And that we are blessed because we have a master like this. It's said that here in this story, the incarnation, the beginning of the gospel, and the atonement, the end of the gospel, kiss right here in this story. And we see them both. It's just beautiful. It's amazing. As I've thought about this, I've just been undone. And in verse 38, it says, it will be good, or they will be blessed, those servants. And so what we see, uh, those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of night or daybreak, uh, as we sit today, we look back at this story, and we see that we are already blessed because we have a master like this, Jesus, who has done this for us. We see that we will be blessed when Jesus returns, right? That's the future tense. And then Egyptian uh, scholar, church leader, Matah al-Maskin said this, that in this parable, we also have a picture of what communion is, and that this is a foreshadowing of that, that when we take of the bread and we take of the cup, as we'll do uh, here in a little bit, that we bring the blessing that is and the blessing that is to be, and we bring it into the present. And we, like these servants, come to the table again with Jesus. And we again are fed by him of the richest affair. And think about the implications for our lives. Think about how Jesus is turning the world upside down by starting with our understanding of who God is. This reframes who God is. Like if their vision of God was Zeus, right? Just master up in the sky. People are there to serve him. People are there to feed him. People are there to give him what he wants. Changes the game. Uh, about 300 years later, the leader of the Roman Empire, Constantine, has a dream. In the dream, he sees a cross. He hears something that says, in this sign you shall go forth and conquer so he interprets that to mean he's going to take the army and they're going to go out and Jesus is going to lead them into some military uh, victory and world superpower. And you realize, wait, that, that Jesus that he's thinking about is not this Jesus 
who Jesus is talking about. This is a God who comes not to be served, but to serve, who uses his power and authority. We're used to leaders using their power and using their authority to bless themselves, to get ahead. We hear about it all the time. And here's a God who comes using his power and his authority not to bless himself, but to bless others, who uses his power to serve. That's just a blow away. It reframes our view of God. If you will let this reframe your view of God, you will enter into that state of you have everything that you need for life and godliness. It reframes our view of ourselves. Think about these servants. To have a master like this, to have experienced this, think about how different they would be. Rather than running from their master, they would draw near. Rather than feeling like, man, I need to work really hard in hopes that one day my master will bless me and he'll give me something or he'll free me or he'll do this or he'll do that. And it's a realization of I'm not working for blessing, but I'm already blessed. Think about that. The working for blessing, we talk about it so often, is the mindset of an orphan. It's the mindset of I've got to go out and make my way in the world and somehow try and prove myself. The mindset of a son or a daughter is I am blessed by my father. And so instead of going out looking for blessing that I can grab, I go out looking for blessing that I can give. Who can I bless? Because I'm already blessed. I don't need to go out and try and get more blessing. I'm blessed and blessed to the full, so I have blessing to give away. And I can leverage my life just like the master did here, just like the way of Jesus, just like we say every Sunday. I can leverage my life, not for my own end, but to bless others because I'm already full. Wow, that would have changed the game for them. And the implications for us are unbelievable. Third, it brings us to the table. When you come today to take communion I want you to remember that it's a picture of Jesus taking you and bringing you to the place of fellowship and friendship and feeding you from himself. This story is a story of encounter that is available for you and for me today. This reframes the way that I lead. This reframes the way that you lead. Wherever you lead, you are all leaders. You all have influence somewhere. And when we let this shape us, the implications are I'm to rethink the way that I lead to think about how can I use my power, my authority, my gifts to serve others rather than to be served. And as you start to see that and you realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. If people started living that way, realizing they're blessed rather than going out looking for blessing. Like when we go out looking for blessing, we're looking to use people. I'm trying to use you to give me what I need. When we go out looking to bless, we're not using people, we're loving people. When we use our leadership to build ourselves up, right, that leads to this world. Let's make it even worse. This world, it's just chaos. And you can look through the pages of history or look through the pages of the newspaper and you can see the effects of that. You can even look through your family tree. But what Jesus is doing in this is he's stepping in. He's saying, I want you to understand what I'm doing. I'm setting the world right side up again. And he started in the incarnation. 
And now he's given that mission and that calling to his people. That we, like our master, are to go forth in this way, in the way of Jesus, looking to bless, looking to serve, looking to leverage ourselves to help others flourish. And you realize if a group of people, if the church of Jesus Christ took this in and we started living this way, you realize that all of a sudden, all these things that are so broken in our world and so upside down, get set right side up again. Jesus has come, and he's come to set the world right side up again. And we are called to enter in. Y'all remember the, the show Seinfeld? The, the key to Seinfeld, or maybe if you're younger, uh, The Office, the key to those shows is that there's no plot, right? There's no overarching theme. It's just kind of random every day, and let's try and laugh at what happened to the diner or what... Uh, Who's the guy with tall hair? Kramer. What Kramer's wearing, right? It's just that. If we miss out on this story, our lives are essentially Seinfeld or The Office. We may laugh. We may, you know, that's funny. But there's no point. There's no lasting point. But if we let this sink in and sink deep, we realize that we are a part and have an invitation to be a part of the greatest movie ever shown. God redeeming a broken world through his people, through people like you and me. And all of a sudden, our lives move from trying to find meaning, I'm trying to find a point to, oh my goodness, I have a big part to play in this movie that God is telling as he is redeeming the world and setting it right side up again. I want to invite you to stand In this story, the only uh, people that miss out on the joy of knowing the self-giving master are those who will not pay attention. The only people who miss out are the servants who just said, I'm just going to go to sleep. I'm going to check out. Right? It's not that the master comes back and he's mad. I'm going to go get those servants they are sleeping. No, he came wanting to bless And it's those who have their eyes open that are actually awake to experience the blessing. So I want to encourage us all to be people whose eyes and our spirits are to be people who are giving ourselves to serving. I want to encourage you, join a serve team. I want to encourage you, look for ways to serve in the home, in the city. This is how we keep ourselves awake that we might enjoy this gift that we've been given in Jesus. And maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I, I understand religion, I understand uh, kind of some of this stuff, but I've never let Jesus serve me. I've never let Jesus bring me to his table, wash me clean, invite me in, make me a friend, make me a son or daughter, make me a part of his kingdom. You don't earn that place. These servants didn't earn that place. Jesus was the one who brought them to that place. And I want to invite you today, if you've never made Jesus Lord, if you've never said he's the king of my life and I'm letting him serve me and heal me and bless me and make me new and I'm entering into his mission, I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. 
And you may be here and you grew up in church and you're like, man, I, I, I did this a long time ago, but it's just been a long time. And you've gotten sidetracked and, and you're here. What I want you to know is that God is not waiting for you to get yourself cleaned up to come to him. God, the story, God has come to you and me. Your father is running down the road and he's inviting you in, inviting you into restoration. So whether it's for the first time or the first time in a long time, I wanna challenge you to respond to Jesus today. And so what I'd like to ask everyone to do is to bow your heads and close your eyes. You have a private moment. If that's you, if you are saying, man, I need Jesus I want to make him the Lord of my life, or I want to recommit my life to following him. I want to invite you just to stick your hand up in the air. We're not going to put your name on a billboard. We're not going to uh, put your name on a website or anything like that. We just want to pray with you, and we want to give you the step of saying, hey, I'm in. I'm doing something. So if that's you, if you would just raise your hand. Praise God. Just raise your hand. I'd like to invite everyone to pray after me, whether you raise your hand or just for our church in general. Uh, Jesus, you are amazing. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've come for me. Thank you that you bring me into your family. Thank you that you make me your friend. I put my faith in you as Lord. I put my trust in you as my Savior. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. So awesome. We're going to have the officiants ready for communion. And as you come forward, uh, you can come when you're ready. The worship team is going to lead us uh, in song. And you come when you're ready. And you take of the bread. And you take of the cup. And you return to your seat. And as you return to your seat, I want you to let the power of this story and the power of what God has done in Jesus become a present tense reality in your experience. We're not just going through an empty ritual. God wants to meet with us today. So uh, when you're ready, you can come. You unravel me with a melody You surround me with a song Of deliverance from my enemies Till all my fears are gone And I'm no longer a slave I am a child of God And I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God From my mother's womb, you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. And I've been born again into your family. Your 
Yeah. 